0: That's nOom.com dot com to sign up today.
1: You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week in fantasy baseball. I'm Lee Keller joined by John Kuh. On today's show we will run through the injury notes and roster moves, talk about the most significant player performances from this past week, and later on we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Ben Pernick to talk about his weekly buy and sell articles. Before we get into the show, we want to apologize for not putting out an episode last week. It's the first time that John and I missed a week of the show since we began, and that was because I had to pick my wife up from the airport, who was in the UK for five weeks, and John had a bad case of food poisoning. So, John, how are you feeling since then? Well, I'm
1: glad to say that the food poisoning's gone, but I'm still sick to my stomach because my twins somehow just can't win any more games. Oh, uh. yeah. So, uh... Yeah, it looks like we're about to get sweeped by the Astros. i hoping that's not the case. But, uh, yeah, we lost three out of four at home against the Rangers. And then it's just like, oh, by the way, now we're going to go on a really tough road trip to Houston. So, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, everything is going great in my baseball world. And as I mentioned on Twitter this past week, I did lose in my home league playoffs. So, you know, everything's really coming up Millhouse.
0: Yeah, I'm also doing so poorly in my home league. It's just not a good season. I said this before, but last year I won in my home league and I would have traded two really bad years to win last year. So (laughs) I don't mind at all, but it's a rough year for both of us in our home leagues. But I'm glad you're feeling better from the food poisoning. That had to be horrible. So I'm glad you don't have to deal with that anymore. And hopefully the twins get better just so you're not too sick to your stomach. My Mets? Doing alright, no complaints there. But before we get into the rest of it, I'd like to remind all of you that you could follow our podcast on Twitter, at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your questions, comments, and concerns to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. If you want us to talk about a certain player, review a trade that you made, or anything else fantasy-related, be sure to write us an email or send us a tweet. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, We're on all of them, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. So make sure you go and do that. And please leave a five-star review if you enjoy the show because it helps us out a lot. Now, moving into the injury notes and roster moves from this week and a little bit of last week as well, we mixed both of them in. So to start things off, Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres was suspended for 80 games for violating Major League Baseball's performance-enhancing drug policy. This was definitely surprising when the news broke. Tatis was in the middle of a minor league rehab assignment to soon join the Padres, and then this news broke. The suspension will cover the remainder of the 2022 season and will continue for 32 games into the start of the 2023 campaign, making him ineligible for postseason play. You can freely drop him in redraft leagues. John, what do you have to say about Tatis? This is crazy, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of nuts considering how young he is, right? And he just signed a massive contract with the Padres. And you have to remember the reason why he was out this this season was because he was injured on a motorcycle. Like this guy has the worst luck or just makes really bad decisions that hamper his his future value. Um and you know, a big part of the story about his contract too was that a you know a good chunk of it ended up going to guys that had like given him lumps of some money early in his career things like that just it just sucks to see from a young player and uh, there was an interesting uh interview i don't know if you saw it It was it was the on the k-rod broadcast basically a-rod was talking about how his life was affected by you know his um his suspension and how you know tatis is just going to have to carry this for the rest of his career um you know I, baseball is a sport where a lot of people end up you know, forgiving people for, you know, things that they did. Obviously, you know, we guys have, like, Robbie Cano, who, you know, was also suspended for PEDs and things like that. But it's just going to be something that's going to be an asterisk on Tatis's, uh career, and, you know, you hope that it doesn't affect for the rest of his, you know, hopefully long career. Um, it just sucks to see for him and for the Padres, to be honest.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is going to stick with Tatis forever, and he is someone who could have a promising Hall of Fame career. And now with this, it's just unlikely that he gets in, considering Bonds and Clemens didn't even get in. So pretty insane. All of his card values dropped drastically as well. So if you're a collector of Tatis Jr. cards, not looking good for your bank account. But man, Fernando Tatis suspended for 80 games, violating Major League Baseball's performance-enhancing drug policy. You hate to see it. Once again, you can drop him in redraft leagues. He will not be playing for the remainder of the season. Next, we move on to Walker Bueller of the Dodgers, who underwent his second Tommy John surgery on August 23rd. It is season ending and he most likely won't pitch for the majority of 2023 as well. So big oof for Bueller, but hopefully he can recover from the surgery and be a-okay moving forward. Joey Votto of the Reds announced that he will have season ending surgery on his shoulder to repair a rotator cuff tear. Bryce Harper of the Phillies will be activated from the 60-day IL on Friday, August 26th. He's missed exactly two months due to a fracture in his left thumb that he had surgically repaired. Zach Wheeler of the Phillies was placed on the 15-day IL on Thursday, August 25th, retroactive to August 22nd with right forearm tendonitis. Nathan Eovaldi of the Red Sox was placed on the 15-day IL on Tuesday, August 23rd, retroactive to August 19th with right shoulder inflammation. Eduardo Rodriguez of the Tigers returned to the rotation last Sunday against the Angels. He landed on the I.L. on May 22nd due to a ribcage issue and then missed a significant amount of time due to an off-field personal matter, but he's back now. Kyle Tucker of the Astros was held out of the Astros' starting lineup on Thursday, August 25th due to a foot injury. Ryan Presley of the Astros was placed on the 15-day I.L. on Thursday, August 25th, retroactive to August 22nd due to neck spasms. Aledmas Diaz of the Astros was placed on the 10-day IL on Wednesday, August 17th with a left groin strain. Tyler Male of John's Twins left his start early last Wednesday after pitching 2.1 innings. He underwent an MRI and it came back clean for any structural damage. Afterwards, he was placed on the 15-day IL, retroactive to August 18th with right shoulder inflammation. Vinny Pasquantino of the Royals was placed on the 10-day IL on Tuesday, August 23rd with right shoulder discomfort. He aggravated it when he took a hard cut at a pitch on Monday against the White Sox. Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals pitched well in his third minor league rehab start with AA Springfield on Sunday. Flaherty had seven strikeouts over four innings of one-run ball. He'll make one more rehab start and should return to the Cardinals rotation sometime in early September. Also expect Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals to be put on the paternity list tomorrow since he and his wife Laura are expecting their first child. Congratulations, Nolan. Nestor Cortez of the Yankees was placed on the 15-day IL on Thursday, August 25th, retroactive to August 22nd with a left groin strain. John Carlos Stanton of the Yankees was activated from the 10-day IL on Thursday, August 25th. Clay Holmes of the Yankees was placed on the 15-day IL on Wednesday, August 17th, retroactive to August 14th with back tightness. He's expected to return on Monday. Aaron Ashby of the Brewers was placed on the 15-day IL on Monday, August 22nd, retroactive to August 20th with left shoulder inflammation. Michael Kopech of the White Sox was placed on the 15-day IL on Tuesday, August 23rd with a left knee strain. Yasmani Grandal of the White Sox was placed on the 10-day IL on Sunday, August 21st with left knee inflammation. An MRI showed no structural damage and he will begin a rehab assignment at AAA Charlotte on Friday. Mike Soroka of the Braves will make his third minor league rehab start with AAA Gwinnett on Saturday. He still needs to be stretched out a bit more, but you may want to stash him now, since he could definitely help you in your fantasy playoffs. Carlos Carrasco of the Mets was placed on the 15-day IL on Tuesday, August 16th, with a left oblique strain. He suffered the injury on Monday when he left his start early against the Braves on August 15th. He's expected to miss three to four weeks. And after Carrasco exited early on Monday, the very next day, Taiwan Walker of the Mets left his start early against the Braves as well due to back spasms. He had an MRI and it came back clean, Walker was then able to make his next start against the Yankees on Tuesday, August 23rd, and everything is okay with him. And last but not least, Brett Beatty was called up by the Mets on Wednesday, August 17th. Beatty was the second-ranked prospect in the Mets farm system and expects to get some shared playing time at third base. In his first game against the Braves, he took Jake Odorizzi deep for his first Major League hit. It was actually on the second pitch that he saw in the Bigs, and it was his first swing that he had in the Majors. Unfortunately, he's slowed down since then and has a very high ground ball rate at the moment. He could be sent down when Eduardo Escobar returns from the IL, but we shall see. John, any comments on all of these injury notes and roster moves? I don't know if you saw it. Joey Votto had a really
1: funny tweet um, about his injury situation. He just kind of joked that uh, he, he thought he was just a, a bad baseball player this season. But turns <laughs> out it was because he was injured. Uh, I thought that was funny. Um I will say, like, it is playoff time for a lot of a lot of leagues. You know, it's getting close to playoff time. All these injuries just suck even more because, you know, you're trying to get your roster playoff ready. Every win matters now. Um, so, yeah, it kind of sucks when you see names like, you know, Nestor, Cortez, like, being put on the IL. But then at the same time, then you're, like, really happy when guys like Bryce Harper are coming back. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, hey, I have a MVP candidate that's off my IL and is now, you know, playing or you know for my team it's it's just like you just had a top 5 outfielder just added to your team all of a sudden which is which is pretty cool so you know the the injury list uh give and the injury list take away
0: yeah it seems to always do that and i'm personally excited about harper returning i have him in a few leagues And yeah, there's a lot of people that just hurts to see go on the IL, Nestor Cortez, Aaron Ashby, who's just an enigma this season, Michael Kopech, Tyler Male, just a lot of guys that you don't want to see. Even like Zach Wheeler, who just was recently Mm -hmm. put on the IL. So that hurts a lot of people, but you do get some and you get some taken away. It happens to the best of us. But what can you do?
1: Right. Well, I guess you could just listen to our performance recaps and figure out some guys that you could maybe pick up on your rosters. Exactly. Yeah, we just as a reminder, just like we do every single week, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles over on the pitchers website. Uh, You can check out the batter's box articles and the SP Roundup articles. They're incredible resources that you should be reading every single day, especially now when it's more important than ever to make sure you have the right pickups and you're picking up the guys that are hot at the right time. But getting right into it, starting on August 19th on Friday, uh, Eugenio Suarez of the Mariners went 2-for-5 with 2 homers, 2 runs, and 5 RBIs. All will admit, I was pretty nervous for Suarez to go to Seattle as he had just finished a pretty terrible season hitting in Cincinnati. We all know how easy it is to hit there, so imagine moving to T-Mobile Park. He's been able to have a decent bounce-back season, though. Uh, He's leading the Mariners in RBIs, and he's slashing 228-333-442. So not bad numbers for Suarez, especially in the roomy confines of T-Mobile Park. He's still hitting for power. Um, if you have him on your team, you've probably been enjoying that a little bit, as well as the RBIs. He's definitely been helping out in the counting stats department. So uh, good for Suarez, and um, you know we'll see how next year works out for him as he's even you know more comfortable in Seattle. And then Albert Pujols of the Cardinals went two for four with two homers and two RBIs on Saturday. Pujols might be the best story of the season as the year winds down. You know, Pujols watch. you know, will he get to 700 homers? It's definitely one of those stories I'm tracking. His two solo shots on Saturday helped bring him to 692 career homers, and he hit another dinger on Monday, so he's currently at 693. So he's got about a month and a half to get to 700, just needs seven more homers, which I think is really possible. I'm really hoping La Machina gets there this year, especially since he's pretty much said he's retiring at the end of the season. He's not coming back to get to 700. Fantasy-wise, though, you could probably leave him on the waiver wire unless you're really desperate. That being said, though, the Cardinals are definitely trying to get his bat in the lineup on most days. He is slugging an insane 529, uh, even though, you know, it's obviously a small sample size. He only has around 200 uh, displayed appearances. Um, so he, but he's making the most of every at-bat if you're trying to improve your ratios. Also, Kyle Bland, who's the director of data analytics for Pitchless, has a really interesting uh tweet on Pujols that he just uh sent out on Thursday just kind of talking about how Pujols is adding to his expected runs um average and I think it's you know something interesting to check out that you know this isn't like a fake thing like Pujols is actually improving down the stretch of the season so you know maybe give him a look if if you're looking for some help in the power department And then finally, Andrew Benatetti of the Yankees went two for three with a double, a home run, two runs, two RBIs, and a walk on Sunday. Yankees have been pretty much trying to do everything to get their team out of this slump. That includes moving Benatetti to the leadoff spot. He had been hitting kind of fifth or sixth in the order since being traded from Kansas City. He hit his first homer as a Yankee on Sunday, and going forward, he's likely going to be a good run contributor as long as he bats leadoff. He still has that elite average and OBP that makes sure he gets on base. Um, and so hopefully that results in some runs as well for Ben Tendi.
0: Yeah, so Suarez for me, I've always loved Suarez. It was so bad last year. He was horrible. He was not rosterable, and he struggled so bad. But this season he's just showing, hey, when things matter and the team around him is good, he can really click. And we're seeing what we wanted out of him last season, and it's great to see. For Pujols, man, I hope he gets to 700. Like you said, he did mention that no matter what, he doesn't care about numbers. He's retiring after this year. Even if he's at 699, he's not going to play next year and hit one home run and quit. He is going to stop after this season, so I would love for him to do it naturally, get to 700. Just one of the best hitters of our generation. Seeing him reach such a milestone that only three other players in the history of baseball have, it would be really special. So I'm rooting for him, hardcore. Come on, Albert, just seven more. Just seven more. Just do it. And Benintendi, he's always someone that's pretty good, and now leading off for the Yankees, I like him even more than before. So, hey, good luck Ben Intendi. Score a lot of runs, steal some bases. Yeah, I I just think
1: that over a month and a half Pujols has to be able to hit seven homers, right? Right?
0: I feel like that gotta, way too. He's
1: got to get there. He has he has 15 on the year, I believe, so he does have to kind of basically hit 50% more of his homers in the next, you know, month and a half. But I feel like the Cardinals are just going to do whatever they can to make sure that he uh, he's able to to do that. So,
0: I mean, Um, look at the home run derby when Pujols needed to go berserk in the final one minute of extra time in the slugout. He did it. He went berserk. So, hey, I'm hoping that Pujols can be berserk again and pull this off because it would be so cool. Just imagine how good for baseball that would be. It would be incredible to watch. Yes. Especially because there's no home run race right now. It's Aaron Judge at like 48 and then (laughs) Kyle Schwarber at 35. It's just not even close. So give us some excitement, Pujols. We need it.
1: Yeah, and speaking of home runs, a little shout out to my baseball trivia crew on the Pitcherless Discord. Uh Eugenio Suarez actually has the most home runs in baseball since 2018. Uh, I
0: believe it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he did have that, you know, those those two really crazy seasons 2018 and 2019. Uh but yeah, he he has the power and he's he's still showing it off this year, so good for Suarez. Moving on to pitchers, uh starting with Matt Manning of the Tigers on Friday. He had 7 innings, one earned run, three hits, one walk and six strikeouts against the Angels. I would say just go pick up Matt Manning now. I, I'd say that as a guy who's probably playing to drop him tomorrow. But, um, you know, it's for, it's for streaming purposes and in the playoffs, you know, don't at me. He's had five starts since coming back in August, with three of those being absolute gems. Of course, I'll pump the brakes and say that his other two starts were duds. He's not going to be your staff face that you randomly find on the August waiver wire. But he's going to be a solid contributor down the stretch. He's got Seattle and the Royals next. Two kind of softest matchups. You know, I'd say rely on this guy, and when he inevitably has a bad matchup, don't feel bad about dropping him. Spencer Strider of Atlanta went six innings, one run, three hits, two walks, and nine strikeouts against the Astros on Saturday. Strider has been a really fun story this entire season. I've enjoyed following it. There's a lot of Lord of the Rings memes. There's obviously (laughs) the the mustache that we've talked about ad nauseum. He also has some tight pants rivaling Robbie Ray. So really all the fun stories about Strider. But those stories are stuck because most importantly, Strider's actually been a pretty good pitcher. He quieted the Houston Bats on Sunday. He's getting plenty of whiffs with the four-seamer and slider combination. Uh, he's been fun. I really look forward to seeing this young kind of Atlanta pitching core. You've got Max Fried, who's been, you know, lights out this season. Obviously, Kyle Wright's kind of coming to his zone. You've got Strider, who's also really solid. So, yeah, Atlanta has a really fun pitching staff. And, obviously, we talked about Soroka also coming back. So, who knows what that, that rotation is going to look like down the stretch and if they make it to the playoffs. And then early next year, too. That'll be really fun to follow. And then Justin Steele, the Cubs, went six innings with zero on runs, two hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Brewers. He's slowly gone from a streaming pick to a solid contributor to strikeout extraordinaire in a matter of weeks, probably because his opponents have been pretty terrible. Um, He's faced the Nationals. He's faced the Giants, um, you know, the Brewers here who've been slumping. I'd say take advantage of those matchups. You know, if your stuff is nasty like Justin Steele's was, on Sunday. That slider was really nice. It'll work against the bad teams. It'll also work against teams like the Brewers. Just remember, they are in the middle of a division race, even though the Cardinals are kind of running away with it right now. I would say keep starting Steele if you have him or try to pick him up. He's still available in the majority of leagues on Yahoo and ESPN.
0: Yeah, all of these guys are nasty. Matt Manning, I definitely agree with you. Go and pick him up now. He's been super good since returning. The other two starts that he had weren't too great, but all of the other ones were dominant and Mm -hmm. if he can just give you one of those during your playoff stretch that's a big win so Matt Manning looks really good right now me and Spencer Strider we have a little bit of a gripe after he pitched against the Mets stunk and then made a comment that oh we're getting lucky hits I don't (laughs) like Strider so much right now I do think he's doing really well in fantasy, and that's all that matters. It's all about the numbers. It's not about yeah. my personal opinion on him. But mm-hmm. don't say those comments, Strider. Be a little bit more humble and just say, hey, they got to me, and I'll get them next time. <laughs> That'll do you better. And then Justin Steele, my God, where did this guy come from? He's, like you said, turned into a strikeout extraordinaire. He's been dominant. He's been really yeah. good. If he's out there for any of you, go and grab him because he's been phenomenal, and I'm sure the Cubs have a pretty good schedule ahead of them. So, yeah, let Steele rip.
1: Yeah, there was actually some fun like tweets after that Strider comment about like, oh no, the Mets are actually getting the right calls. Like it was kind of funny. Like he was just kind of in a in a bad mood. So <laughs> yeah,
0: I would be in a bad mood too when you know that all eyes are on you because it's you versus Degrom and it's on the main stage and it's a big right. matchup. It's important. And then you stunk. You stunk. You were bad. And I would be agitated too. But he just went about it the wrong way.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But moving on to Monday, August twenty second. We go to the Batters Box article through Nick and Thin from Mark Steubinger. We start off with Randy Arena of the Rays. He went two for three with a homer, a run, an RBI, and a walk. Last year, I was huge on Arena. He was coming off that ridiculous playoff run that he went on, and his price was inflated the following season, but it didn't matter to me. Arena managed to have a 2020 season last year, exactly on the dot, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases, nothing more. But he wasn't playing every day, and like always, the Rays were just frustrating. I don't like rostering any Rays players because I never feel like they are confidently in their role, so I kind of avoided him this season, and it was a mistake. Randy now has 17 home runs and 23 stolen bases this year, with 52 runs and 66 RBI. He's managed to cut his strikeout rate over 3 percentage points this season, down to 24.5%, which is exactly what you want to see from him. Reyna has been one of the most reliable outfielders this season and can easily finish with over 20 home runs and 25 stolen bases. So it's nice to see some guy named Randy go off. Next, we have Jose Abreu of the White Sox, who went three for three with two runs and two walks. Abreu was perfect at the dish on Monday, reaching base all five times that he was up. If you look up consistency in the dictionary, you'll actually see a picture of Jose Abreu's face just plastered onto there. Every year, he just churns out 30 home runs and 100 RBI. This season, he might fall a bit short of that, but regardless, Abreu has been fantastic. He ranks above the 90th percentile in average exit velocity, max exit velocity, hard hit percentage, X woba X batting average, and x slugging Jose has a 311, 388, 464 slash line and doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. Yeah,
1: both of these guys are kind of just guys, you know, like... They do the work. They come in every single day. You don't you don't take them off your starting lineup, but they don't fl- – they're not flashy, you know? Like, a Rosarena might have, like, a two-steal game here, or, you know, he might have a, a home-run steal game, or Abreu might have a homer for two-RBI or something like that. And You're just kind of like, yeah, I was expecting that, right? Like, that's, that's kind of what I wanted out of these guys. And then you look at their end of the season performance, like, oh, they were actually, like, pretty solid. Um, I know with Abreu, like, I've been frustrated with him this entire season because – I was expecting him to perform like a top three first baseman. And he's mm-hmm. more, you know, like a top six, top seven guy. And that play is still in fantasy. You know, you're, you're okay with a top six first baseman. Um, yeah. He's not putting up lights out numbers, but he's yeah, like you said, just Mr. Consistent.
0: Yeah. That's a good point. Both of these guys aren't the flashiest of players. And, You could probably say, what do you mean 20 homers and 25 stolen bases isn't that flashy? It's just one of those guys where you draft them and you expect that and you get that. And that's what you get out of a Rosarena and a Breu where you draft Mm -hmm. them in maybe the fifth, sixth round, fourth, sixth range. I don't know. Somewhere around there. Depends on your league size. But you get exactly what you get from that spot. Like there's no downside and there's no real upside. You just know what you're going to get out of these guys. And sometimes you need that if you take a little bit more risks in the first few rounds. Yep moving on to pitchers from monday we have the sp roundup article noah constrictor by nick pollock we start off with the title boy noah Sindergaard of the phillies he went seven innings pitched one earned run three hits two walks and one strikeout just one strikeout only two whiffs against the reds which is insane If you know me, which some of you should after listening to us for 20 episodes, then I've probably said this before, but I am one of the biggest Noah Syndergaard fans out there. I've got quite possibly the largest Noah Syndergaard card collection in the world. I wish he was still with the Mets. However, he's not, and he's with the Phillies now, which is a humongous sigh. But against the Reds, he had a fantastic start, but only one strikeout. That's not the typical Thor that we've known, but it's definitely what we've seen out of him this season. He went from budding ace to now Toby, who relies too much on Babib. Syndergaard has a great schedule coming up, so you're not dropping him, but that delicious strikeout upside that we once craved with Noah has seemed to dissipate, so not great out of the strikeout camp for Syndergaard. Then we have Jordan Montgomery of the Cardinals, who went 9 innings pitched, no earned runs, 1 hit, no walks, and 7 strikeouts against the Cubs. It was Monty's first career complete game, first career shutout, and first career Maddox, which if you don't know what a Maddox is, it's a complete game shutout thrown with under 100 pitches. He's allowed only one earned run in four starts with the Cardinals so far. Montgomery's sinker is returning a 30% CSW, he's increased his four-seam usage, and he's scaled the changeup and curveball usage to just 33%. He's been extremely reliable this season, and it sure looks like the Yankees messed up by shipping Monty to St. Louis. As we mentioned before, the Yankees were supposed to get Pablo Lopez in a trade, which is why they moved Montgomery, but this is looking real stupid right now. And also, Edward Cabrera of the Marlins went eight innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, three walks, and seven strikeouts against the Athletics. What a dominant start, and I'm expecting great things from this guy in the future. However, he gets the Dodgers next, so temper your expectations.
1: Yeah, I'm just kind of thinking back to a couple weeks ago when we talked to Nate Schwartz uh, about his article on Cardinals pitchers. Right. Um, and at the time, right, it was kind of like, oh, you know, Wayno and Michaelis are pretty solid. Dakota Hudson's like, oh, a little dicey there. And then you know, they just had like a, a squad of guys who, you know, cycled in as the number four, number five guys. And kind of looking back, like the Cardinals made some great moves on the trade deadline. They got they got Montgomery, they got Quintana, who, yes, he blew up on Sunday, but still, you know, has been pretty solid for them. Um and that's been a really big part of them making this postseason push. Uh, it's you know performances like this from Montgomery. Yes, it's against the Cubs, but it, it, that's what you want to see from a guy that you uh, trade for on the deadline. Just a guy who performs day in and
0: day out um, and gives you those dividends. Oh, definitely. And what's crazy is I actually had Monty ranked as the 40th SP for fantasy in my personal rankings, and I was very high on him coming into Mm -hmm. this season. I think he's just very reliable, and I think he has a lot of upside. If you just change that pitch mix up a little bit, he could be really good, and he's someone that you got in the 19th, 20th round pretty much free that I had as a 40th best starting pitcher in baseball. So Montgomery is one of those guys that I was expecting this, and it sucks because in most places I dropped him because he was just kind of bleh the whole season, and no one could anticipate him going to the Cardinals, where, of course, the Cardinals make every pitcher better. So... It's crazy to see this but also I kind of expected it. Yeah, it's it's funny with
1: with Montgomery too cuz he had two bad starts against the Orioles and I just like rage dropped him from him yep. a couple teams because it's like come on dude. It's it's the Orioles. And this was back when the Orioles were bad, right? Yeah,
0: like, not when they were not, on their good run.
1: Right, exactly. So it, it was just one of those really frustrating moments. And then yeah, he's actually come back a little bit and you know, again, he's he's a kind of a sinker guy, so being with the Cardinals is perfect, right? Yep. That defense is just you know built for his his game and so yeah it's a good, good to see him in a good spot and, and excelling
0: yeah big mess up from the yankees yeah
1: well moving on to tuesday uh starting with the batter's box article o'neill before me from jim chatterton uh we're gonna start with tyler o'neill the cardinals two for four with a home run two runs two rbis and a walk i drafted tyler o'neill in the fourth round of my PL staff league instead of picking up austin riley and boy have i regretted that pick up the entire Ooh. season uh yeah, O'Neal has struggled with injuries basically yeah, the entire season. And when he's been healthy, it has not been pretty. He only has eight homers, nine stolen bases, and an eighty-nine WRC plus on the season. I don't wanna be too optimistic, but it might look like he's actually back to 2021 form though as the season closes he's been hitting the ball harder recently his 50 game rolling average for both woba and wrc plus are a little bit more respectable more a little bit around league average it isn't like the breakout year that he's has last year i'm not expecting that kind of tyler o'neill but honestly a league average tyler o'neill is pretty solid for what he is now on most of your teams and then his teammate, Tommy Edmund, uh, went two for five with a double, a home run, two runs, and three RBIs. Uh, speaking of the Cardos who have been underperforming, Edmund has seemed to have fallen off a cliff since the start of July. After scorching the base pass from April to June with 19 stolen bases, Edmund has only managed five since July 1st and has only hit two homers with the second one coming on Tuesday as the Cards beat up the Cubs 13-3. Hopefully this jump starts the offense again for Edmund and he can finish 2022 on a high note.
0: So this is why we titled our podcast House of Cards, because as you just saw, we talked about Pujols earlier, then I just talked about Monty, and then back to back, we mentioned Tyler O'Neill and Tommy Edmonds. So lots of cards, and we're not even done yet. We've got another one to mention later on in the podcast, but Tyler O'Neill, super disappointing. He's someone that I had last year. He was awesome, but I avoided him this year because his price was just too high, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. I mean... He has the potential to be incredible, and like you said, you drafted him in the fourth round over Austin Riley, and at the time, that's a good move. If he hits 30 home runs and steals 15 bases, that's a dominant player, but he just somehow gets into a spot where he can't do anything. He's not healthy. He struggles with his strikeout percentage. There's just so many things that could go wrong for Tyler O'Neal that I just kind of stay away from it, and it might result in me missing out on a fantastic season, but I'd rather be out on that. And Tommy Edmond, he's someone that I personally love because I have him on a few teams. Got him really late in most of my drafts. And then, like you said, he fell off a cliff. He's been really bad recently. He's even moved down to 7th and ninth in the order. He bats leadoff against lefties, I believe. And then he bats ninth against righties. It's not that great, but he is picking up the pace a little bit, getting some more counting stats, stealing some more bases. But I really expected a 10-homer, 30-plus stolen base season from Edmond. He could still get that, but... It's a little bit of a stretch now.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's just tough to see for these guys, but you know the Cardinals are in the middle of the playoff race. You know they were tied with the Brewers a couple weeks back, and now they're they're ahead by a few games in, in the standings. Um, you know they've gone on and basically an eight-two run in their last ten games, and you know both these guys are going to be huge for the Cardinals down the stretch. Uh, you know down this last month and a half, and when they're in the playoffs, so. Um, if there's any time for them to get hot and back to you know the, the form that we know that they can reach, uh, it's now. Hopefully your fantasy team's going to take advantage of that as well. Moving on to the SP Roundup article in Logue uh, from Nick Pollock. We have Justin Verlander of the Astros. Went 6 innings, 0 earned runs, 0 hits, 0 walks, and 10 strikeouts against the Twins. It came against my team, uh, but they've been on the receiving end of ace pitchers getting pulled while throwing no hitters. Just remember they got uh, lucky enough that Colleen Kershaw got pulled after going through seven innings of no-hit ball. Uh, actually, I think it was a perfect, uh, perfect ball. Yep, um, perfect. So, yeah, so the Twins have been lucky to not get no-hit this season because it, it could have happened to them a couple of times. Uh, yeah, Verlander was dealing at home on Tuesday. It wasn't perfect. A batter did reach on a drop third strike, uh, which I think also happened to John Means last year, right? That's how he lost yeah. his perfect game with a yep. drop third strike. Uh, but who's counting? You know, 10 strikeouts from the AL Cy Young frontrunner is it's always a good showing. There's not much else to talk about for Verlander. He's been dominating this season. It's it's cool to see that he's you know performing like this at 39 years old. Obviously, I've never loved Verlander because he was a Detroit pitcher. Uh, but you gotta respect the greatness. And then Ross Stripling of the Blue Jays went six innings, one run, six hits, one walk, and six strikeouts against the Red Sox. So I'll have sixes and ones there. Uh there was a lot of good outings on Tuesday, but I wanted to highlight Stripling out of all the aces that went He's currently the 78th ranked pitcher on the list, and normally a guy like Stripling isn't going to be someone who managers are fighting to get. He has had a string of pretty solid outings dating back to July, and for a guy that's still available in over half of Yahoo leagues and 80% of ESPN leagues, Stripling will be a strong, reliable arm at the back of your playoff rotation as the season winds down. Definitely a guy you can add and drop constantly as you're trying to find matchups and stream for the right guys, but he's a name that you should be thinking about constantly. In this start, he was able to showcase a little bit of that strikeout potential, and he rarely walks guys, so he'll definitely help in the whip department on your team.
0: I just find it really funny that you said from the beginning of this show, since we started doing it together, that you hate Verlander because he always dominates your twins. Yeah, I know. here we are again (laughs) with Verlander dominating your twins. It's just always funny because I always remember you saying that, and then when I see it, it's just, like, actually funny. It's a tale as old as time, man. Just
1: uh, Verlander... Is just one of those guys who, you know, like, I don't know what it's like to, you know, kind of hate a. Oh, okay. I'll say this. Like, I, I have understand these rivalries in, like, football. Uh, college football, specifically, you know, where you you love to hate another team or things like that. For for baseball, it's like rare that those types of intense rivalries like truly exist. You know, you've got Yankees, Red Sox, you know, maybe yep. Dodgers, Giants, things like that. Subway Series, then, Yankees, Mets, yeah, Subway Series, yeah, exactly. But for me, it's like Verlander, <laughs>
0: <laughs> public enemy number one, Verlander. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, he's ha- he's haunted be my entire you know basically adult life watching baseball.
0: So. <laughs> That's great. Moving on to Wednesday, August 24th, we've got the Batters Box article, I've Got Friends in Low Places by Dave Swan. We start off with the title boy, Nathaniel Lowe of the Rangers. He went 3-for-6 with a triple, a homer, 3 runs, and 5 RBI. Lowe was just a double short of the cycle in this 16-run massacre that the Rangers instilled on the Rockies. He's had an incredible season so far, batting 295 with 20 home runs, 20 doubles, 58 runs, and 62 RBI. Lois had a better approach at the plate this year, swinging more in the zone, with a 74.5% Z swing, which is up 8%, and as a result, he's making more contact with an 86.3% zone contact rate. He'll be a popular sleeper at first base in drafts next season, if these improvements stick. And then we have Jose Ramirez of the Guardians, who went 3-for-3 three three with 2 home runs, 2 runs, 3 RBI, and a walk, I feel like we haven't spoken about Ramirez in a while, but the best third baseman in the game continues to impress. Jose currently has 48 walks to 51 strikeouts, which is just insane. His slash line this season is 285, 355, 551, with 25 home runs, 14 stolen bases, 69 runs, and 103 RBI. Not much more to say about a guy who should get drafted within the first five picks every single season.
1: interesting thing about Nathaniel Lowe is he started off the season incredibly slow. Because uh, I, I know a lot of guys were taking stabs up in in the draft because he had a really good year last year for a little bit. Um, and yeah, this year he started off pretty slow. I know he was available on a lot of waiver wires. Uh, but yeah, he's picked it up, which is obviously good to see from the young player. Um, and he's only going to get better. Uh, the Rangers have no reason to move him off first base. Um, and I think he, he'll be yeah, a really good pick next next year if you're able to get him. And and if you you know basically stick with him as he, you know, continues to figure out batting early in the season.
0: Yeah, he's really young too, so he has a lot of time to improve. But please can you go back to Nate Low? I don't know, I don't like Nathaniel. It's too <laughs> long to type out just Nate. Keep it short and sweet to Nate. It is a little bit of a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Moving on to pitchers from the SP roundup article, Massachusetts Bellow from Nick Pollock. We have Kyle Wright of the Braves, who went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Pirates. He only threw 73 pitches and got through seven innings, which is pretty crazy. He had a 36% CSW as well. After his last start, we were worried about Wright because his velocity was down quite a bit. Well, in this start, his velocity was up nearly 1.5 ticks. He's been sitting 94.5 miles per hour all season, and in this start, we saw him sitting 96 miles per hour if you can keep this velocity up alongside his great breaking balls Wright is an ace in the making this is exactly the kind of start that you want to see against the lowly pirates and i hope to see more good starts like this moving forward next we have george kirby of the mariners who went seven innings pitched one earned run eight hits no walks and nine strikeouts against the nationals kirby actually set a record for most consecutive strikes to start a game He threw 24 straight strikes to make MLB history by passing Joe Musgrove, who threw 21 consecutive strikes. Kirby's fastball is legit, and it really showed in this start. For the season, he has a 3.32 ERA, a 1.20 whip, and 102 strikeouts in 97.2 innings pitched. He gets the Tigers next, where he should expectedly feast. And what the heck? Cole Irvin of the Athletics posted a 7-inning, no-earned run, 3 hits, no walk, 11 strikeout performance against the Marlins. 11 strikeouts. Who is this guy? What a night for Irvin. That's just, wow. Yeah, apparently
1: uh, guys were trading for the wrong athletics pitchers. We should have been trading for Cole Irvin. Yeah, so,
0: Montas, Montas who?
1: Or, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and the funny thing about George Kirby was that, yeah, he threw 24 straight strikes but also gave up like three straight singles on the first inning. Like, thankfully, he didn't like come back to like bite him, but it's just one of those funny things where it's like, yeah, he threw 24 straight strikes but – some of them are for hits. And it's <laughs> so it's it's one of those really funny stats in my opinion. It's like it's great, but there's also like a not so great story behind it.
0: Yeah, it's not like the greatest record. It's like, hey, you threw twenty four straight strikes, but what if each of those strikes were home runs? Like you gave up twenty four straight home <laughs> yeah. runs, but they were all strikes. Like it really doesn't matter, but it's yeah. still cool. He did throw twenty four yeah. straight strikes and that's a record nonetheless. Right.
1: Exactly. I could throw 24 straight strikes. It, they just all get sent straight out of the park. Oh, yeah. So.
0: 500 feet out of the stadium, no doubt.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. O'Neill Cruz is, like, crushing it for 130 miles per hour. Yeah, which
0: is also crazy that on Wednesday, O'Neill Cruz hit a single that broke the StatCast record being 122.4 miles per hour. That's insane. Yeah. That passed Stanton's home run of 122.2.
1: Yeah, well, and the interesting thing, too, I, I mean, I don't want to harp too much on that game, but Matt Olson. Also hit a ball super hard into the Allegheny river that same day. Yep. It was just one of those funny things where it's like, uh, O'Neal Cruz actually hit a ball harder than Matt Olson did. But the launch ankle just wasn't good enough where it just ended up as it was too low, basically. So it didn't clear the fence. It just went, you know, straight into into the wall instead. So. It was
0: so fast that it hit off the wall, went right to the fielder, and O'Neal Cruz couldn't even round first base. It was like a I single. <laughs> it was like one of those Barry Bonds sort of singles where it hits off the wall and just gets thrown in immediately. And you're like, what happened there? Yeah,
1: exactly. So, uh, you know, numbers are great, but they don't always tell the, the best story. Yep. Well, then moving on to Thursday's performances, uh, we're starting out with Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals. Uh, 3 for 4 with 3 runs, 5 RBIs, 2 homers, and 1 walk. I swear, we're not just highlighting Cardinals hitters this week. They've just been on a tear. They're just that good. They look like a team that's ready for October baseball, and you love to see it. Unless, of course, you're a Cubs fan. Uh, Goldie had 208 mile an hour dingers on Thursday, cementing his status as a front-runner for the NL MVP. It's kind of funny because Arenado's kind of the other name in that race, along with Austin Riley. So... You know, good for the Cardinals. They've got two MVP candidates on their team. It's hard to not like Goldschmidt's odds to finish out on top this year as he leads the league, not just the National League, but Major Leagues in general, in average OBP. He's second in slugging, and he's third in runs, homers, and RBI. So wow. he's got the ratios and the counting stats to boot. And then Mitch Hanniger of the Mariners went two for four with a run, three RBIs, and a home run. Since coming back from a high ankle sprain at the beginning of August, Hanniger has been an integral part of Seattle's lineup, and is keeping them firmly entrenched in the third wildcard spot in the AL. Before Thursday's game, he was slashing 302, 371, 460 this month, and now has 13 runs, 4 home runs, and 10 RBIs through 74 plate appearances, which, if we were wildly conjecturing, equates to about a full season performance of 104 runs, 32 homers, and 8 RBI. He's still available in about 16% of your league, so go snatch him up if he's somehow available on your wire. Uh, yeah, obviously we're not saying that Haniger would have gone for 30 homers this year, but he's hitting like it right now. Um, and so he's, he's definitely a good pickup if, you know, you play DFS, um, as I usually switch to once my fantasy season is over. Um, but yeah, if he's still somehow available, I'd say go pick him up.
0: I love Mitch Haniger. I root for him every single time that he's healthy and in the lineup. He's someone that last year was a big reason why I won my fantasy championships in multiple leagues. He had a crazy final week in my playoffs where he hit like four home runs and had six RBI or something like that. So big fan of Mitch Hattiger. It's great to see him back on the field, healthy and dominating. He's someone that does heat up towards the end of the season. So definitely grab him if he's available. And Paul Goldschmidt, just unbelievable. Can't really say much more about him. Just what a season. And Nolan mm-hmm. Arenado can't win the MVP over him if he's taking breaks off to have kids. What are you doing? <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt's running away with this. Yeah, baseball's more important. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing having a child, you crazy person?
1: <laughs> yeah, time that a little bit better next time. Yeah,
0: yeah. Off season.
1: Yeah, well, moving on to pitchers, we want to start with Drew Rasmussen of the Rays. He went 5.1 innings with six hits, one run, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Angels. I'll admit, I forgot about Rasmussen a lot this season because the leagues I personally care about are all quality start leagues. You know, I do play a couple that are like wins or points leagues, but I generally just like quality start guys. For a guy who gets you good ratios and good strikeout numbers but only has 5 quality starts on the season and 22 appearances, it's hard to rationalize trying to trade for him in those types of leagues when you get someone else who has just as good ratios but also gets to go deep in games. It was actually a little surprising that the Rays let him pitch in the six. He was already at 85 pitches uh Rasmussen is still top 30 among starters in ERA and whip so you're happy with the ratios I'm just gonna be more curious in how the Rays use him next year we saw the kind of the same story with Shane McClanahan last year when the Rays kind of pulled him after five innings in a lot of games I'm wondering if they're shaping up for Rasmussen to be kind of the same kind of guy next year or they're more willing to let him go six um he has been you know going further in games recently so good to see I just want to see what the Rays do with him next year and then of course Jacob DeGrom of the Mets six innings three hits one and run one walk nine strikeouts against the Rockies you thought we weren't going to talk about DeGrom we're going to talk about DeGrom <laughs> just another dominant night from the best pitcher in baseball the only blip was a homer he gave up to Ryan McMahon in the sixth on an inside fastball McMahon just basically turned on one inside it's pretty impressive he kind of just golfed it up there so kind of unfortunate but it is what it is Uh, He finished the night with 17 whiffs, with his slider alone accounting for 12 of those. Here's also a fun fact. DeGrom currently has the highest average fastball velocity among starters in the majors. Sure, it's only five starts, and he's only thrown a little under 200 of them, so small sample size, yada, yada, yada. That's still pretty impressive from a guy who, you know, is basically coming back from an injury. I legitimately can't wait to see this man pitch in the playoffs. And then also a shout out to Aaron Nola, the Phillies. He had a complete game shutout, nine innings, five hits, 11 strikeouts against the Reds. If you follow Leo Morgenstern, who was on our podcast a couple weeks ago, he also writes for PL. You would have learned that Nola is also the first Phillies pitcher this year to pitch a shutout. He's also the only pitcher in the majors with a shutout each year, the past three years. So congratulations, Nola. It's good to see that you finally have a renaissance season after the absolute dud that you provided for a lot of fantasy teams last
0: year. (laughs) That's wild, actually. That's a really cool fact on Nola. I am surprised that Sandy Alcantara doesn't have three straight, but I'm guessing he has two straight this year, last year. So maybe right. just missing maybe, one year.
1: Exactly. Maybe he did get one in the 2020 season or
0: something right. like that. But that's really cool. Nola is just an ace. It's good to see him returning to form and... Being good again. DeGrom, obviously, just every week, get used to it. Everybody, he's going to be on here every single week. He's just that (laughs) good. We're going to talk about him. He's amazing. So, DeGrom, awesome to see him back. I really can't wait for the playoffs. I hope the Mets win the NL East so that way we don't have to have any kind of wild card games or anything. But with DeGrom and Scherzer back to back with Bassett, Walker, maybe Carrasco, we are just primed to go deep into the playoffs and win. So, I'm very excited about that. And then Drew Rasmussen, great point that you mentioned, that just like last year where Shane McClanahan wasn't going very deep, Rasmussen's the same thing. So maybe they stretch him out for next season, and next season he's someone that you can get really late in your drafts that might pay off dividends.
1: Yeah, and I, the, the thing is he is getting to like 80, 90 pitches in yeah. a lot of his starts. He just isn't getting a six. And I think like as you kind of get more experience on just like how to... You know, maybe save pitches earlier in a game. You know, like maybe don't always go for the strikeouts. Maybe just try to get a guy to ground out or something like that. Um, You know, obviously it's easier said than done, but he's going to have more game experience. He knows he's going to learn how to go longer in games, Um, and I think that's just going to be a skill that you can only learn
0: by pitching in the majors. I completely agree. But now we will take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Pitcherless writer Ben Pernick to talk about the waiver wire and guys that you should pick up. Stay tuned. And we're back, Uh, and we're joined by Pitcherless writer
1: Ben Pernick. Uh, Ben writes the weekly buy-sell article that comes out every Thursday on Pitcherless. Uh, It's one of the more helpful tools on the website if you're looking for who to pick up uh, over the weekend. Uh, But Ben, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Yeah, glad to have you on. Um, For those uh, of our listeners who don't know who you are, uh, could you just introduce yourself, kind of what you do for Pitchlist, uh, and maybe your baseball background as well?
2: Sure. Well, I've uh, been playing fantasy baseball since, I think, 2002. I remember it was the year that Anar Diaz had the really bad year. Uh, and I've been with uh, Nick and Pitchlist from the very beginning, back when it was like five people. Oh, awesome. One of the uh, Yeah, one of the OGs, and I uh, – I think I really just uh found my groove with this buy and sell because I'm of course just always crazy with the waiver wire all the time in my own league. So I figured why not do something that help everyone else out try to navigate that whole mess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm kinda curious with buy sell because you know there's obviously a ton of leagues, different types of leagues out there that do different types of waivers. Kind of the leagues that you like to do. What what's kind of the waiver style for for those leagues?
2: you know it really does uh, does vary a pretty good deal. Um, like for instance, uh, well, like my original league is just like you have three days to to pick someone up and then everyone else is just a free agent. but you have in that league, you only had a limited amount of free agent pickups, which meant that you had to you know really believe in someone in order to take a chance on it. Sure now now i play and you know there once some with fat there's a, a good variety some with fab some with uh just like the i guess like the yahoo typical waivers
1: mm-hmm.
2: That's a, yeah it's a pretty good variety
1: okay cool yeah i know i mean there's all the, there's all these different types out there but i think you know your article's pretty applicable to any sort of scenario that that people are are you know facing in their fantasy in their fantasy leagues so
2: Sure. I mean, like, there are still some like certain leagues that I don't do as much of like as much as I'd like to. There's just I'm already in I, nine leagues is not a lot for <laughs> yeah. a lot of the people, but yeah. for for me that's that's enough. And there's DFS and Dynasty and oh, all for sure. that. But for me, it's uh, just a few keeper leagues and a few redrafts is uh, definitely enough to keep me busy and uh, not too many to make me go insane.
1: Yeah. No, I totally understand that. Well, before we jump into this week's article, I kind of actually want to pick your brain about how you, you know, put together the article every single week, and and what does that process look like? Um, so, yeah, what is that? What does that look like every single week? You know, how do you identify who's a good pickup and who do you need to drop now?
2: You, you know, it, it it's been an evolving process, and sometimes I feel like it's almost more by feel. I think when I first started writing the articles, I think uh, I, I really was thinking about just who's being the most added and dropped and then to kind of just look that way and be like, okay, out of these people who are being added and dropped a great amount, Mm -hmm. uh, who, who are the ones that where I really think that they're worth buying into. And it's not just like a a fluke and vice versa with the drops. Like, are they just having a bad, a bad run, but there's no, no need to panic. And I think over the time I've kind of evolved to really just look, get a little more granular uh, looking uh, more at, Uh, the different, you know, rolling windows and Expo, but especially later in the season, Mm -hmm. early in the year, I I try to uh, focus a lot more on kind of what they've done so far. And I think you get this to this point in the season, you really can't rely on that anymore. And you kind of have to use uh, smaller windows to Mm -hmm. really figure out, okay, for the next, I don't care what they did back in May for the next two months or less, uh, who's going to help me. And there's, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I, I wish I could say it was a really organized, like I go through it this way, but it, it really kind of goes a, a lot by feel. Sure. Uh, because sometimes I'll see a performance and I'll be like, wow, okay. This guy, I mean, like, uh, I'm even thinking, even though I didn't write him in this one, like, Brett Beatty, you hit a ball 113 miles an hour, and you're mm-hmm. like in your first <laughs> game, okay, like that is someone that I need to be paying attention to right, right. now. And so, so yeah, it's uh, the tough, the toughest thing I find is that a lot of times it's just really hard to choose between. There's especially for the buys, uh, sells are it's a tougher thing, especially because so many of the people that get dropped or it's because of injuries and that's just no fun to write about. Mm-hmm, right. I mean, it just stinks for everyone. But, uh, for the bias, a lot of times I'm like, should I write about this guy or this guy? Cause you know, I, I'd go crazy if I tried to include them all, but, right. uh, sometimes it's nowadays I, I try to make it more something that's more useful for people. Like if there's, uh, someone that people don't realize yet is actually, uh, really good. Like when last week, when I wrote about uh, like Vinnie Pasquantino, I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of people still hadn't picked him up. And I'm like, looking at all the underlying stats, being like, he is a he, like he is already breaking out, kind of like Alejandro Kirk earlier in the year. Where it's just yeah. like, it's gonna happen, and you just have to you want to be the first one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned ex-wobo is one of the stats that you look at. What other stats do you kind of try to lean on when it comes to finding those? Those gems.
2: Um, I'm definitely using barrel rate. It also depends on contact. Um, our, I like contact rate for uh, smaller samples. Okay. It's. Um, I know it's a very basic one, but I think it's it's helped me uh, avoid a few traps because you know as sometimes early in the season. I'm right now. I'm blanking out on his name. Uh, the the pirates. Is uh, it the pirate? No, Rockies rather. Sorry, not pirate. Okay. Well, was, <laughs> but anyway this guy that just burst onto the scene with a couple homers uh-huh. and everyone's like, Oh, what, what do you think about him? What do you think about him? And, you know, and I looked at it and it's like, wow, his his contact rate is like really bad. Mm-hmm. And if, if someone has, has a couple homers in their debut, but they have terrible, they're not walking at all and they're, they're chasing everything and they're swinging at everything. I'm like, this probably isn't going to last. I mean, right. it kind of reminds me of, uh, Chris uh, Christopher Morel earlier in the oh, year yeah. where mm-hmm. like he had the power and the speed and you know and I remember someone when I wrote about him saying no I think you should get him someone pointed out in the, the comments uh you know his con- his zone contact rate really isn't good I'm like mm. you no know, I think I kind of overlooked that and then sure enough even though he had the power and speed for a while it's uh it kind of came back to to get him so um I, I think I, I lean on uh max on it really depends on the size of the sample, but mm-hmm. I would say that but in really, really small samples, max exit velocity is something that like right away tells you, okay, this player has talent, yeah. not so much if they have a low max exit velocity, it means they don't have talent, mm-hmm. but someone like Beatty or someone who just like hits uh, 112 miles an hour in their first game, it's like, okay, if if they can do that and they can hit for contact, watch out. I, I mean, I think of Oscar Gonzalez in that sense, too. If he can just start lifting the ball, mm-hmm. uh, that's also a potential breakout.
1: Right. Yeah, I know I jumped on the Morel train probably like a week after he had broken out, and then it was just, oh, this is painful. <laughs> and then dropped him about yeah. a week as well because he just wasn't pretty. I got pretty. pan...
2: I got panned in one league where there's one, the newest league I joined where there's lots of trash talking and oh, I sure. traded, I got, I was frustrated and I traded Berrios for, for Morel, oh, no. which granted was, that was a terrible trade. I mean, but now it looks less terrible. Right. It's still, it's still pretty bad. Though. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone's entitled to, to one just like awful trade. Cause you're just so frustrated with a player. Oh, but, completely. Yeah. Yeah, what? but anyway, I think it's uh, a lot of it depends. I think a lot about stabilization rates, you know, and I think in those smaller samples, I really want to see, uh, I contact the per pitch metrics, uh, contact rate, chase rate, stabilize sooner. So I, I still care about barrels. I think barrels are really important, but mm-hmm. it, it does take a little more time and. If someone has a really high barrel rate, I'm like, that's great. But, you know, I expect it to regress. Sometimes someone just sees the ball really well for a week and then it right. eaters out. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, we're getting to crunch time in a lot of leagues. I mean, it's, you know, middle of the August. Um, a lot of playoffs are coming up in head-to-heads. And, you know, Roto Leagues are kind of wrapping up their seasons as well. How do you think strategy changes at this time of year when it comes to pickups?
2: Um. I know, of course, for for pitchers, and of course, I'm mostly focusing on on hitters. But I, I think for hitters too, to a lesser extent, you do want to think about matchups. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you need to also just accept someone you're picking up might just be to stream. Like someone was asking me uh, today, like if they should drop Ryan McMahon for Beatty in a ten-team OBP, and I was like, yeah, I think you should do it. And it's not to say that I fully believe that Beatty is going to be a stud. But what he already showed in like his first game is right. he has the potential to be impact. And if you have, and McMahon is kind of uh, fun- fungible, mm-hmm. uh, you can always, in a 10-team OBP, you can, like, maybe you get a hot streak with Beatty, then maybe you drop him and pick up someone else. But I think if you see that you have a player and they have a, they're going to be on the road at Colorado and they hit the ball, lots of fly balls, you really want to weigh that a lot more heavily than you would if they had that same matchup in may or april right might not even care about it so much back then but now every every matchup does matter more Mm -hmm. and i think also like i mentioned before those rolling windows if you see a player who had been struggling for a long time is now just getting really hot you kind of need to throw out the stuff especially if it's a player that has established a certain talent level before you kind of need to throw out some of not completely i mean keep it in mind but you really need to focus on what are they doing lately? Because, I, I mean, I think of uh, Max Muncie, for example. He's been right. terrible for so much of the year. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: But they always said, well, it's because of his health. He's clearly not healthy. He's clearly not healthy. And he got a little time off, and now he's back, and he's mashing. And you're just like, well, I guess he's healthy. So right. kind of have to forget about all of that and at least take a chance on him because if he was really unhealthy, he probably wouldn't be hitting like this.
1: Right, exactly. I, I think it's kind of insane. You you point out in your article that in August he has a 1352 OPS, which he's like, that's just insane. That's, you know, Hall of Fame level right there, you know, three-time MVP sort of level there. Obviously it's just, you know, two weeks of performance, but that's kind of what you need to latch onto in the playoffs, yeah. right? Those, those guys who are getting hot.
2: Yeah, and especially if it's someone who's established that they can do this that they've done it in the past and they just haven't been doing it this year. Mm -hmm. I think right now, of course there's lots of rookies in the game and that's, you know, the shiny toy. Mm -hmm. Everyone's jumping from shiny toy to shiny toy. But that being said, there are, there are a lot of players who are like, well, maybe this player can help me. And Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's a terrible thing to kind of bounce between them. But I think if you really believe in a player, uh, you don't want to give up on him just because he has a couple over four games um, unless they've really shown something in there, like they're suddenly striking out at everything and their contact rates way down, then maybe there's something's wrong. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I think you just have to uh, they'll based on uh, a lot of the advanced stats. If there's really a sign that something's wrong, or if it's just your players going through a slump, and you'll regret cutting them another week from now.
1: Well, moving on to rookies, uh, one of the guys you highlighted was Vaughn Grissom, who um, has had you know a pretty solid week uh, in his first week in the majors, you know, two homers and the stolen base in his first twenty-five at bats. What do you like in his profile that makes him worth picking up right now?
2: I think uh, one thing that I just really like is uh, I think he's managed to keep his contact rate still pretty low. I think I also I do have a bias towards younger players. If someone's, and I, I mean, we saw just earlier uh, this year on the same team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think uh, if someone is 21 and they're able to succeed right out of the gate, you know that they have a certain talent level. Right. And it's it's different than if it's a 24 or 25-year-old uh, who had good stats in the minors coming up. Uh, I mean, I will say with Grissom, I, I do wish his uh exit velocity and hard hit rate um were a little higher but the fact that he has speed also it gives him an advantage in terms of he doesn't necessarily have to be um slugging the ball really you know like Beatty or something because right. he can leg out a lot more hits mm-hmm.
1: yeah you just couldn't contribute what he's on base and potentially getting you steals which is obviously pretty nice um and you know, like, like you mentioned earlier, you know, you highlighted his contact rate of seventy five percent, which is kind of crazy that he's, you know, getting getting hitting the ball that often. Um so I think that yeah, there's a lot I like about Grissom. I have him on a couple of my fantasy teams. Uh we'll see if I you know keep him till the end of the season. But
2: Yeah, um, I mean I, I do consider him a little bit more of one of those just take him and see what happens picks because mm-hmm. you know if he has like one or two big games he's gone right so i think that strategy is has worked out pretty well or for me generally where sometimes you just have to take the lunge before all the the numbers you'd like to see are there and mm-hmm. just uh hope it comes and so far it's it's with uh, grissom that has been going pretty well yeah but a lot of that was just uh, also based on his minors numbers and just kind of believing that uh what he'd shown in his first few games is a sign to a certain degree that he is not going to be struggling in the majors, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's always the chance after a week or two that they get the book on him and exploit a weakness.
1: Right. Yep. And you know, as a rookie, there's, there's definitely plenty of growing pains (laughs) for those guys. So it'll be interesting to see how he, uh, yeah, continues to acclimate to the majors. Um, Yeah. A lot of a lot of the pickups, obviously, and you know, we talk about this, are, are motivated by recent success, right? You mentioned, you know, looking at rolling charts, understanding, you know, how they've been performing in the last month, last two months, last few weeks. Uh, obviously, that makes sense, right? Why are you going to pick up someone who isn't doing well? But how do you sure. balance that recency bias and you know those small sample sizes with trust that you know this player is going to still contribute in the coming weeks in the way that you've seen him contribute, say, in the last two weeks?
2: You know, it's a great question. I think I, I try even not to lean so heavily on expected WOBA, because in the end, it's still, it's not a predictive stat. It's just descriptive. And mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, you can just, it's also not not so precise. in the fact that there are always, a, like, I think of uh, Christian Walker, who has had a I mean even though his hom- his uh, homers have been great just cuz of the way he hits the ball he's always going to have a much higher like expected woba than the actual sure yep you know cuz it doesn't account for the shift and uh, other thing it doesn't account for the direction uh just the launch angle and velocity which is still helpful but it's it's not perfect yep. it has its flaws uh so i think it's for me it, it really there's a lot of like things when i'm looking at a player it, there's there's a lot of things that I'm kind of weighing simultaneously. So it's hard to like bake it into a single. And I think it, from playing fantasy, um, you do, you do just generally get a better feel of, okay, it, now I'm going to be focusing uh, more on this like particular stat. Um, and like, I think for me, an example is like Christian Arroyo uh, who I I wrote about as a, a buy last week where he, mm-hmm. um, in his case the performance like didn't look that good yet but i said wow you know he has a really good exit velocity his his barrel rate is is looking really good but this year he suddenly has a really good contact rate and that's you know last year he he was quietly pretty good um, at least for like a backup kind of utility role player but but right. that contact rate so much lower like he really could could be special so i kind of went in before you know when he just had his first little hot streak and then you know of course after he seemed to cool off i'm like i'm tempted to drop him but i'm like you know what he's still and then of course he went three for five yeah <laughs> uh, but, but i'm glad that i resisted the temptation to drop him um i think you don't want to lean so heavily on expected woba um but you just kind of want to look at the the general trends how much are they you know if they were facing a really good pitcher and they struck out a few times, mm-hmm. obviously not to panic about it. You, In a way, I think you almost want to get a little more granular, kind of like you. people tend to overreact to everything early in the season. And in the right. middle, people start to forget. But now uh, I think a lot of teams also, and just generally speaking, the waiver wire, so many teams start thinking about football that oh, I know yeah. Like I was able to get a lot of my targets uh, to pick up In one of my leagues, I'm basically in dollar days because I overspent on players earlier. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of the guys I wanted that I I assumed would would be taken. Um, I think you just kind of have to figure out, like, what are you prioritizing? And I think barrels are probably the thing that's most important to me because just uh, if you have a really high barrel rate, you're probably going to hit home runs and just have really great contact. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I'm thinking of like Michael uh, Michael Massey in Kansas City as a player who, you know, has like no homers and has a really high barrel rate, and be like, okay, you know what? I think you, even though it's Kansas City, like that that's going to matter.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: One of the other things that I think is kind of tough is that sometimes you have to let a good player go, even if they're say going to hit a lot of homers, because at this point you really need to focus on your team needs. Yeah. And that that's something early in the season you really have no idea how it's gonna go. But now you, you have to look not just at like where you are in the standings, but also like how close you are to the other teams, how realist, and realistically assess how many points I can I get from, you know, leaning more into stolen bases or or another category. Cause mm-hmm. maybe you're you're so far from the next team in stolen bases that even if you got like a John Birdie, it's going to move you up like a point at most where you're a lot closer in your power categories. Then even though I think John birdie should be owned in all like 10 team leagues, maybe you're not the team that should take John birdie. You should go for uh, someone else.
1: Yeah. Maybe he accidentally ends up hurting your average or OBP (laughs) by doing doing that. Cool. Well, one thing I personally really enjoy about your articles are all the puns that you throw in there.
2: (laughs) So many puns. Uh, Yeah.
1: I'm just curious how do you come up with all of these
2: well I I've always just loved puns and uh I think uh I I drives my wife crazy because <laughs> she's well she's Israeli so she doesn't always understand the word play sure yep but, but it still it still makes me happy but i I think just sometimes I mean sometimes it's almost it's just really easy I mean like Lars newt bar like Everyone can have have a field day just uh, you know playing around with a name like that. Oh yeah. And I'm so I'm really glad that he's I find that he's actually fantasy rele- relevant now. <laughs> yes. but, uh, but but it's hard to say. I just for for me it's part of the fun. I mean, I love baseball, but I've always done loved performing comedy, mm-hmm. and uh, I like to put some of that comedy into uh, my writing too. Yeah. Well, so sometimes, sometimes it comes easily, and sometimes I uh, either just have to spend some time thinking of it, or I just decide to go for a completely different angle. <laughs> keep keep people on their toes a little bit.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I I definitely appreciate them. I, they're always fun little tidbits. I know up, Nick appreciates them. I, oh, for sure.
2: <laughs> I like to think that I was an influence on his punning. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, if, if you can uh, hold claim to that, that'd be pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, thanks, thanks Ben, for coming on the show. Appreciate uh, you kind of walking through your process of, yeah, you know, what does it look like to put together the buy-sell article? Um, obviously, for everyone who's listening, it comes out every Thursday. A Really helpful resource, especially coming down to the crunch time in your leagues where you need to figure out who you need to get, who you might need to let go of. Uh, but before we let you go ben uh how can people kind of get in contact with you where they can follow you on twitter and, and what's kind of coming up for you baseball wise
2: um i mean baseball wise i'm just going to mostly be cranking out my uh same favorite article i'm hoping i'll have some time to write about one of my uh, favorite players uh in greater detail who i did just talk about <laughs> uh you can guess which one uh, a certain unheralded Red Sox. Uh, but aside from that, uh I just I love ma- making on um, making jokes and things like that on Twitter. That's uh Benjamin Pernick on Twitter. and uh, that's that's really it. Uh, did want to say it's i uh, and also just been really fun uh, being in Israel, which where I moved uh, I moved here in February and it's it I feel like I'm kind of the uh, representative for Israel fantasy baseball.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Most well,
2: people here aren't a big fan of baseball and it makes me sad, well, but I'm hoping I can change that bit by bit. They,
1: they've got a team in the world baseball classic. So um, yeah. it'll be kind of exciting <laughs> to see who ends up joining that squad. I know um,
2: I'm rooting for Dean Kramer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Adam Sloat had a really interesting article come out today about, you know, who might join these teams. And I think he had some interesting names on the Israeli team just because it's, uh, the requirements to get on the Israeli team are pretty low Um, or requirements to yeah. get real on any <laughs> world baseball team is pretty low. So it, it could be fun to see who ends up on that squad. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Ben. Appreciate you coming on the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me. Now let's talk about the streamers for the weekend. John, who's on the docket this week?
1: Yeah, we got some interesting names lined up for you. Uh, Starting on Saturday, we've got Koe Arihara of the Rangers. He's got 1% roster in Yahoo and ESPN, so he's definitely available in your leagues. He goes against Detroit. I personally might be a little shell-shocked by how effectively Arihara Cup carved up the Twins on Sunday with six shutout innings and three strikeouts. Is he the best play on Saturday? Uh, I'm not sure. He's, probably, he's going to be available in your leagues. He's going to be going up against a Detroit team that has more or less given up on the season. There was a hilarious gif a couple weeks ago of bias just giving up on a pitch that went middle middle for like the third <laughs> called strike in a game and I was just like that is the definition of a team that's given up when you just don't swing at a middle middle pitch you know yeah so yeah take advantage of the matchups when you can and then on Sunday we've got Nick Lodolo of the Reds he's 26% rostered in Yahoo 11% rostered on ESPN he goes against the Nats he's had a pretty up and down season this year injury robbed him of half the season And his performances have showcased the prospect pedigree, but also kind of the, you know, the rookiness of Lodolo. He does have really good strikeout potential, though. And against basically a quad A squad known as the Washington Nationals, he'll have a good chance to post his best start of the season. And then finally on Monday, this is really one of those days that I think you shouldn't stream. And for good reason. Your options are essentially limited to JT Brubaker, Dylan Bundy, uh, Brian Bellew, who, yes, had a good start, but is about to go up against the Twins. And then two guys that I have never heard of in Javier Assad and Justin Nicolino. Yes, those are major league pitchers. No, I have no idea who they are. Uh, (laughs) Yikes. Yeah, just sit back and relax and try to enjoy your Monday instead of starting off your week regretting any pickups that you might make.
0: I couldn't agree more. Just don't stream on Monday. Don't do it. We always suggest people and we throw out names out there, but just don't do it on Monday. This is a horrible list. And then Nick Lodolo is my favorite of the bunch. He obviously just had a pretty decent start last time out. Got rocked a little bit later on in the game, but had a pretty good showing. And yeah, he's been really up and down this season with some really good performances and then some really bad showings. So, Lodolo's been up and down, but I like him a lot against the Nationals. I like anybody against the Nationals. If you told me JT yeah. Brubaker was against the Nationals, I'd be like, yeah, go stream him. Sure, whatever. Right. Exactly. And then Ariara, he could be good. I don't really know how good he's going to be, but once again, the Detroit Tigers are miserable. So, you might as well capitalize on that. But that concludes the streamers for the weekend. Before you go, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and also send us your comments and questions to our email, thisweekplpod at gmail.com. You can also find John on Twitter at TheJohnKuh, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can follow myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. Make sure that you subscribe to the List podcast feed and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. Please also leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show and if the place that you listen to our podcast has a five-star review option. Please leave that because it helps us out a lot. And lastly, sign up for PictureList Plus. By doing so, you could join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back next week recapping another week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I am Lee. We'll see you all in the next one. Later, everyone.